Intersection is brought to you by Touchpoint Media Network, podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Learn more at touchpoint.health. I think all the experiences of our life, all the way back when we're, we're young, very young, it all meshes together over time and eventually makes us the people that we are. Welcome to Intersection. I am Bobby Ratu, storyteller. I've got many passions. My basketball team here, the Orlando Magic, is certainly a passion. Our family is a passion of 19 children, 18 grandkids. Uh, that's, a, that's a big passion of mine. Uh, writing books uh, remains a passion. My public speaking career, certainly. I'm a passionate sports fan. Uh, I'm a passionate Christian uh, so passion is a big part of my life. It drives me and fuels me. And uh, I think to have passion, uh, well, well, let me put it this way, without passion, uh, every day is a grind. You're just laboring your way through life. Uh, so I think it's important to live out our passions. My name is Pat Williams. I'm in Orlando, Florida. Basketball Hall of Famer Pat Williams is founder and senior vice president of NBA's Orlando Magic. In addition to his roles with the Orlando Magic, he served as general manager of the 1983 world champion Philadelphia 76ers and managed both the Chicago Bulls and the Atlanta Hawks. Pat is best known for acquiring top talents such as Dr. J, well, Julius Irving, Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, or we call him Shaq, and Penny Hardaway. A cancer survivor, Pat is in remission after winning his battle with multiple myeloma, which is a blood cancer. As an author of over 100 books, Williams has focused much of his writing on inspiring and motivating others through leadership, teamwork, and peak performance. He and his wife, Ruth, are the parents of 19 children, including 14 adopted from four nations. In his new book, Character Carved in Stone, Pat shares incredible stories of West Point graduates who exemplify these traits. Williams proves that these 12 virtues aren't exclusive to the military, but instead can be developed and used in every aspect of their lives. Ladies and gentlemen, Pat Williams. How did you find yourself in sports? Talk about the early days uh, before going to college, how you got involved with sports. I grew up in a sports-minded family. My, My dad was a high school coach and teacher. So I was always hanging around his teams as a little boy. Uh, I fell in love with baseball uh, when I saw my first major league ball game at the age of seven. And I knew at that age exactly what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to be a ball player. Uh, That's what I really uh, worked at and uh, paid, you know, enormous attention to through high school and college. Uh, I did get to play two years of minor league baseball in the Phillies organization. And they felt I had a better future as an executive than a catcher. And is so... A, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it turned out to be a good thing. And I, uh, for the last uh, 56 years, you know, I've been involved in professional baseball and basketball. Uh, but it all started when I was a little boy growing up. And I had a sense that I wanted to spend my life in sports and I've been very, very fortunate to be able to do that. I'm in the middle of ACC country. Clemson is right around the corner from where 
I live. I grew up uh, an ACC fan. I worked for Clemson football and basketball and baseball as a student and then a graduate student. And one of my favorite places to go was Wake Forest. If I understand correctly, that's where you went to college and played some ball. I did. I spent four years at Wake Forest. I caught for the baseball team. I had a wonderful experience at Wake Forest. It was a perfect uh, spot for me, the right size. And I was able to get involved in many many activities at the school. And so Wake Forest was and remains an important part of my life. And of course, I was right in the ACC as well. The ACC in those days was eight schools, uh, nothing like the, the huge map that's drawn today. But I still uh, call myself an ACC person. I still have a great interest in following all the teams. And uh, interestingly enough, in uh, one off season, 1966, I was the color man on the Clemson University Football Network. So I've, I've got a little tiger blood in me as well. That is awesome. Um, I have to say that I I love when people know where Clemson is and understand the, the Clemson DNA just a little bit. So that gets me pretty excited. How did you transition out of uh, Wake Forest into the Army? Well, in those days, um, military duty was was a must. There was a draft. There was a war going on in Vietnam. And uh, so every every young man uh, from 18 on up had to be aware. Uh, I was able to go to graduate school and get my master's degree. But eventually, uh, you have got you had to face that military duty. Uh, I went into an Army Reserve unit out of Philadelphia. I did my basic training in South Carolina at Fort Jackson then did my advanced training in Fort Polk, Louisiana, and then spent the better part of six years uh, in reserve units around the country. And so uh, I was uh, definitely a service member. I uh, was a member of the United States Army and uh, still feel very proud about that. I'm glad I had that experience, although at the time, uh, it was not something that uh, any of us looked forward to. But I look back on it now, and it was a valuable part of my life. One of the things that I walked away as they considered me a student athlete, even though I didn't play, but I served the football teams. I work under the athletic director as a student. But I walked away with a good structure for my life, and athletics really built the foundation for my career. How did athletics in the college ranks and then maybe moving into the Army, build the foundation for you and your future? I think a lot of it uh, probably would be the people I met. Uh, Many of my Wake Forest uh, teammates and classmates are still friends. I'm still in touch with them. I uh, I think my military duty taught me much about discipline, uh, taught me uh, much about doing things that had to be done, even though uh, it's not something that you would have wanted to do, but it, I think it forced me to really do things that needed to be done and had to be done in a disciplined manner. And so uh, I think all the experiences of our life, all the way back when we're, we're young, very young, it all meshes together over time and eventually makes us the people that we are. 
uh, I think we're a result of the people we meet and the places we go and the things that happen to us. I think they ultimately help to form us and shape us and turn us into finished products eventually. How did you transition from the Army into professional baseball? I noticed that you spent some time with the Spartanburg Phillies. Talk about that time period transitioning back into that world. Well, I graduated from Wake Forest in uh, June of 1962, and I was able to play professionally starting that month. Uh, I spent that summer of 1962 in the Phillies system in Miami, which was one of their farm clubs. I went back in the summer of 63 and played again. And then uh, in 1964, the baseball season, I started my career as a youngster, a very young person. I was a uh, intern and assistant in Miami, uh, the baseball team there in 64. I was 23 turning 24. And then the uh, Spartanburg Phillies job opened up for me in the winter of 1965. I started there in February of 65. I had four wonderful years as the uh, general manager of the Spartanburg Phillies. Uh, some uh, Really uh, good things happened to me there uh, in my growth, people I met, and it was an important spot for me. And so at the age of 28, thinking I would spend my life in baseball, out of, out of nowhere, out of a clear blue sky, apparently, I was contacted by the Philadelphia 76ers basketball team, uh, offered a job in Philadelphia the first time I'd ever had an opportunity to go to a big league franchise in any sport. And I left baseball and left the Phillies organization. And uh, for the last 50 years, that's what I've been doing, uh, helping to run NBA franchises in uh, Chicago, Atlanta, Philadelphia. And for the last 32 years, we've been here in Orlando. What was it like going from baseball, professional baseball, into professional basketball? You've got two important things in pro sports, uh, winning games and selling tickets. And it doesn't matter whether you're running a minor league baseball team or an NBA franchise or any aspect of sports. It comes down to winning games and selling tickets. And if you can do those two things successfully, uh, you're going to have a long career in this business. Eventually, uh, those people who fall by the wayside uh, they have more losses than wins, and uh, their buildings are half empty. And eventually, people are going to move you along, and somebody else gets a shot at it. Talk about some of the earlier places that you, uh, in professional basketball, that you served. As I read a lot of your achievements, I mean, you worked with players like Dr. J and Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal and Penny Hardaway. Talk about those people and what was it like to go out and really help bring those big notable brand names today uh, into the franchises? I have been fortunate uh, to have been around and uh, in the position of either acquiring or drafting uh, some of the game's biggest stars. Uh, Julius Urban we brought to Philadelphia in 1976 in a a purchase, a big purchase. Uh, Later on, we drafted Charles Barkley in Philadelphia and here in Orlando, the, uh, the big moment was in 1992 when we won the draft lottery and 
uh, selected Shaquille O'Neal on the first pick. Uh, so I, I treasure those stars. I feel very honored that we were able to be around them and uh, bring them to the various teams that I was on. And uh, as the years go on, oh, it seems to even be a bigger deal. So uh, I'm, I'm uh, very, very pleased that I had the opportunity to be in that position. What would you tell, share to young people that have not experienced that type of career are some of the things that really shaped your leadership and leading an organization like Orlando Magic, the wisdom that you gained over the years that have really put you in a place to be successful? Well, I think it comes down to experience, uh, and, and that's so important no matter what field you're in. Uh, to this day, I tell young people uh, that uh, and just as I had to do, you have to pay your dues. Uh, you're not going to start off in the top spot. You're not ready for that. And it's important uh, to gain experience. Be patient. You can't rush it. You can't rush your career. Uh, you've got to learn along the way. You've got to have a teachable spirit, a willingness to learn, uh, an ability to adjust and deal with change. You need to have a, a good, good uh, lineup of people in your life, uh, mentors or sages, life coaches. I don't care what you call them, but you need those people in your life who are constantly investing in your life. And uh, you've got to be a good, good pupil, a good student. You've got to have um, the ability to um, keep growing, keep advancing. Learning and leadership are indispensable to each other. So those are some of the things I've learned along the way. Now a quick break to ask for your help. If you like Intersection, we would really appreciate you take a moment, whether you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, please take a moment to leave a review. This is important because it helps others find our show. Thanks so much for your help. Now, let's return to the show. So where did you find your passion to start writing books? I always had a, a great interest in the written word. Uh, I loved to read. Uh, I was a, constantly reading the sports pages as a little boy. Uh, baseball was my passion, and I read continuously about baseball. So I always was intrigued with the written word. But I certainly didn't view myself, you know, as, a, as an author of over 100 books. I never could have predicted that. But... Uh, it began to increase. It began to grow. Uh, I think I've got more book ideas left than, than years to live, <laughs> even though I've written, well, 110 books now. And I never would have guessed that. Uh, neither would my high school English teacher, uh, who would be rolling over in his grave at this point. Uh, but uh, it, it's something that came along and uh, I had I had uh, messages on different topics, and fortunately, there were publishers who believed in the projects. I've always hired a, a writing team around me uh, to to give me help, and eventually, we have been able to get these products out, including our latest book that'll 
be coming out uh, in early 19, uh, 2019, a new book called Character Carved in Stone. What is the inspiration of that book? Some years back, several years ago, I was invited to speak at Army West Point, and that was a real thrill. I was invited to come speak to the athletic teams there and the coaching staffs. And uh, after I finished the talk, I was given a tour of the West Point campus, uh, which is very impressive, by the way. Uh, We ended up coming to a little park, Trophy Point it's called, uh, looking out over the Hudson River, a very, very scenic view. And I noticed a bench in that park. And the closer I looked, I observed that there was a word carved into the end of the bench on both ends of the bench. And then I continued to explore around in that little park. And I noticed that there were 12 of those benches. With a little more exploration, I found out that the Army class of 1934 presented those benches as a gift to the school. And at the end of each bench, there was a different word, 12 words and 12 different benches. And the words were meant to inspire cadets to live up to those values. Uh, They were meant to become a focal point of how an Army cadet uh, would live their lives. And uh, I thought to myself, boy, this could be a book someday. And I presented it to a publisher. They agreed. And that's how this idea came about. We wrote a different chapter on the 12 different words uh, that were on those benches. Compassion, integrity, courage, loyalty, dedication, perseverance, determination, responsibility, dignity, service, discipline, and trust. And uh, so... Each chapter was developed. We used West Point graduates as examples of these different qualities. Uh, Many people, you know, you'd be familiar with their names. Ulysses S. Grant, Dwight D. Eisenhower, Douglas MacArthur, General Omar Bradley, uh, graduates of West Point. So it was quite a project, and the book is finished. Mike Krzyzewski, the basketball coach at Duke, and a West Point graduate uh, was kind enough to write the foreword for us. And uh, the end result, we think, is a, is a book that uh, really could be valuable to uh, people of all ages. I think they're going to enjoy reading it. And hopefully they come away inspired uh, to live their lives uh, according to these 12 West Point principles. What is the intersection of those 12 words between sports and the military? I think the intersection is is common. When you think about great athletes, you think about great military leaders, I think they exemplify uh, those words in some form or another. And I think it goes well beyond sports or the military. I think that uh, young people, no matter where they are in life, uh, can benefit really from studying those 12 words and more importantly, start applying them in their own lives. Uh, There's no limit here on on age or rank or uh, what what people are doing in their life. If we get a whole nation uh, with people absolutely dedicated to these 12 important principles, life principles, 
Well, that could have an enormous impact here in our country and around the world. Now talk about those words, an intersection with your faith. Well, my faith really is an important part of my life, Bobby. I came, became a Christian in Spartanburg, South Carolina uh, in uh, February of 1968. It was a very, very important moment for me when I accepted Christ into my life. Uh, he has been with me through all of this for over 50 years. I think the Lord has opened up so many different doors for me uh, without me even not knocking on them. You know, I often wonder at that. You know, we all try to maneuver our way through life, but I haven't had to do that since becoming a Christian. God has opened these various doors, presented them to me, and I've been able to walk through them, uh, knowing that that's the next step in my life. And I think these books, have, it's been the same thing. I mean, whoever could have planned years back, a trip to West Point, and then a tour of the campus to see these benches with these words on them. I mean, the person who was directing me around the campus, you know, could easily have taken me other places other than that little park. I never would have seen those benches. So it's quite remarkable the way the Lord uses us and uh, presents opportunities for us. And then it's our job to take advantage of them step up and uh, do what we feel the Lord is leading us to do. And I, I feel that way about this book, the car character carved in stone, the 12 core virtues of West Point that build leaders and produce success. That's the best way I can describe it. Now let's talk about your family. You have a rather large family, which is amazing and awesome. How does this book intersect, especially with a, um, a man growing and growing up and trying to raise a family and lead a successful life and doing all the things necessary to be both a family person, a spiritual person, but also to be to take care of their family in the business world. Bobby, it probably comes down to leadership. I think that every family needs a leader, and that's where uh, fathers and husbands come in not to minimize the role of wives and mothers in any way, but every family needs a man to, to be the leader, to have vision for his family, uh, to be able to communicate that vision clearly to his children and beyond. Uh, people skills, which involves um, being available to your children and uh, loving them, being concerned with them, spending time with them. Uh, leaders in our homes need to be, uh, be men and women of character. Uh, these qualities that we've written about in this book, really it comes down to uh, character qualities. Boldness, we need bold leaders in our homes and in our country. Men and women who step up and are difference makers, who are not afraid to take a stand. And then of course, a serving heart uh, a serving heart mentality is such a vital part of leadership in our homes. Uh, men and women who understand that they're there to really be of service, not just in their families, but in their churches, in their communities. Uh, we need that attribute, uh, that quality of leadership as well. So eventually, uh, everything in life that uh, does come down to leadership. Everything does rise and fall on leadership. And uh, that's always been the case. 
One of the things that I'm fascinated with your book, especially with the 12 values as you list them, is I think about being a family man, uh, being a business owner, um, being a spiritual person. But I also think back to my time in sports and thinking about the many coaches that I've interacted with. And one of the ones that I wish I would have uh, worked under is Clemson's football coach, which is his name is Dabo Sweeney. And it seems like he brings a lot of those qualities of not only just trying to raise his own family, but raise a family of men as athletes. Talk about your thoughts as it relates to leading teams of athletes in a way that exemplifies the characteristics of your book. Well, you mentioned Dabo Sweeney. There's no question uh, Dabo, who is a godly man, uh, has great joy, great passion, great enthusiasm for what he's doing. Uh, he's raised his family well. His marriage is extremely solid. And he uh, exemplifies, I think, everything we've talked about in the way of leadership. Uh, I think you could read this book and come away saying that Dabo um, and his staff uh, practice all 12 of these qualities that are on those benches up at West Point even though Dabo may not be familiar with those benches. But I plan to mail, sign a book and mail it to him, you know, when the books come out. And uh, I hope he enjoys it. I, I have a feeling he will. And uh, he, he is a remarkable, not just coach, but he's a remarkable man. And his leadership skills are, are superb. And uh, there's no secret why Clemson is doing so well uh, these young athletes from all over the country uh, want to come there and, and play for him and experience some of that Clemson magic. And uh, once you walk on that campus and visit that little town of Clemson, you come away saying, yeah, yeah, I could picture myself being here for the next four years, you know, with tiger paws printed on every highway leading in and out of that community. And Orange, orange colors all over the place. And uh, Dabo uh, can sell, boy, he can sell those young athletes on why they should come there. And I'm sure that you as a leader in sports, leading a wonderful club organization like Orlando Magic, you do the same. You, you have learned how to lead these players, lead these teams in a way that builds family. Talk about how this book is almost an example of your leadership over the years and what you've learned. Well, I've studied leadership thoroughly uh, for many years now. I'm fascinated by it. Uh, one of the things that I have done and will continue to do is study uh, the great leaders of history in, in many different fields, uh, constantly uh, trying to figure out uh, what we can learn from those leaders and how we can apply it in our own lives, and I've come to this conclusion, and it's probably best shared in a little verse that I, I can give you that my friend Swen Nader, the former NBA player, wrote for me. Seven things one must do to be a leader right and true, have vision that is strong and clear, communicate so they can hear, have people skills based in love, and character that's far above. 
the competence to solve and teach, and boldness that has fearless reach, a serving heart that stands close by to help, assist, and edify. So I think that's really what I've learned about leadership and uh, how to apply it. Uh, we never really fully arrive as leaders. None of us do, but we all should be studying and working at it and trying to improve our leadership skills in those different areas from the home to the church, to the community, to sports, to government, business. Uh, we all need great leaders in every area of life. So how can people find this book when it comes out? Well, go to Amazon. You can go up there right now and pre-order the book. It's due out the first week of February. And uh, I have found that, and it'll be in bookstores uh, starting in that first week of February. Uh, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, Christian bookstores. Uh, so go seek it out that way or, or, or pre-order right now through Amazon. I think the release date is uh, Feb 3 or Feb 6, somewhere in there. So it's about a month a month or so away. But uh, they're putting the finishing touches on the book, and uh, it'll be out very soon. And I'm very pleased, Bobby, we got a chance to talk about it. Pat, it has been a tremendous honor to speak to you. I was speaking with one of my mentors the other day, and I've learned over the years to surround myself with people like you recommended. And I told him I was going to interview you, and he about fell out the chair. And so um, I can't wait to purchase this book for him. So I'm excited. I'm excited for you and um, very thankful that you were willing to spend some time with us today. Thank you, Bobby. Good to chat with you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. Intersection is powered by Touchpoint Media Network, a podcast dedicated to discussions on all things healthcare. Go to touchpoint.health for many other podcasts, including Datapoint, hosted by Greg Matthews, featuring trending topics as he explores the idea of the quadruple aim, enhancing patient experience, improving population health, improving provider experience, and reducing costs in the system. To learn more, go to touchpoint.health. That is touchpoint.health.